Greetings, I'm Brother John, welcoming all our listeners and followers to this week's study podcast, How to Be Saved. Many people hear a message that stirs in them the need, want, and desire to be saved. But how does that work? How can one be saved? Why should one be saved? We will attempt to answer these questions for you this week. Verse 16 is the classic verse that is used in witnessing. Whenever anyone expresses a desire to be saved, this verse is the classic go-to verse. John chapter 3 verse 16 reads, For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's see this verse in the larger thought it is a part of, in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, which reads, For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 reinforces John 3 verses 16 through 18. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 reads, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It is quite simple. All means all. No exclusions for any reason. Death is the wages of sin. It is part of the oft-quoted in days gone by, the law of sin and death. It says here in John chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that we will not perish or die if we believe in Jesus, as it is stated in John chapter 3, 16. It should therefore be easy to see that our salvation is never in doubt. It is with great surety that we are saved by the blood of Christ on the cross. Yes, he died to pay my sin debt, our sin debt. If the sin debt is paid, where is there any doubt of it not being paid if the work on the cross was specifically to pay the debt? A paid debt is exactly that, paid, regardless of whoever has paid the debt. Sometimes, do not parents, brothers, sisters, or other relatives pay a family debt where it otherwise cannot be paid? Then, is that debt not paid to the debtor 
simply because the one who owed it did not pay it? A family member paid the debt. As far as the debtor is concerned, that debt is paid, period. I think it is easy to conclude that being saved through the act of repentance, believing in Jesus, and receiving his eternal life are a high priority on God's list of wishes for mankind. However, it is now, as it was in the Garden of Eden, a choice. He has loved us first. He does desire, though, that we make the choice to follow him. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 reads, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it you will surely die. Here is the establishment of the law of sin and death, right here in the garden. There are two very important notes we should make here. First and foremost, notice that woman was not created yet. She comes next in the creation of things. It was Adam alone that was warned of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Doing so now would constitute the first sinful act committed by man. Doing so would also set in motion the recompense for sin. It would establish the law of sin and death in its completed fullness. Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 ends this chapter. There is no mention as to Adam speaking to the woman about what God said to Adam regarding not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So how did she learn of this, so as to be subject to God's command? Yet, we do know unequivocally that she knows, given the conversation the serpent has with her in the beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 reads, Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said, You must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, You must not eat of it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, tells us that Adam and Eve communicated on this issue of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Notice how the question from the serpent to Eve is worded in verse 1. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said, You must not eat from any tree of the orchard? What did God say in Genesis chapter 2, 16? God's statement to Adam begins, Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat from every tree of the orchard. It would seem the deception here is extremely clear. One might ask, How did Eve miss this? Adam and Eve both were not to eat of a very specific tree in the Garden of Eden. Yet, she misses the wording of the question. Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? Like the serpent asked Eve. Our enemy today reasons with us in the same way. He confuses the facts to sound like something they are not, to sound temptingly pleasurable, to sound temptingly desirable, to sound temptingly good for us even when it is bad. It was no different for Eve then as it is for us now. The devil has not changed his game plan, just how he implements it with changing times and how he uses man-made temptation. Temptation is not the problem. Neither is being subjected to temptation. It's our inability to resist it so as not to act on that temptation, which is now sin. Eve did not sin by entertaining the conversation with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. She sinned when she took the first bite of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it is with us today. As soon as we act on temptation, that defiance to God makes us no different from our original parents. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. If you are developing a sense of wondering about a person actually being saved, you are on the right track. It would seem, too, that salvation is not a lock, a guarantee. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and do many powerful deeds? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. If this is true and taken at face value, then it will scare even those who are saved. However, with real study of this passage, we see it is directed at false teachers, preachers, and pastors. It also speaks of those who would be great pretenders of the faith they really do not possess. The true faith, the true salvation in Christ. Barnes' New Testament Notes reads on Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, as follows. A miracle is a display of his own power through the medium of another. An act of healing the sick is also a display of his power through the agency of another. In neither of these cases is there any necessary connection with moral character. So of preaching or prophesying. God may use the agency of a man of talents, though not pious, 
to carry forward his purposes. Saving power on the mind is the work of God, and he may convey it by an agency which he may choose. Accordingly, many may be found in the day of judgment who may have been endowed with powers of prophecy or miracle as Balaam or the magicians of Egypt in the same way as many men of distinguished talents may be found yet destitute of piety and shut out of his kingdom. For those who may not know what the word piety or pious means, simply it means one who acts out of the things of a life devoted to God. However, the people that we are speaking of here in Matthew and in commentary are people who are vacant of that life they profess because they really do not possess the salvation of Jesus in its true form. I think we who are true defenders of the faith can see we have little to worry about with regard to being shut out of God's kingdom and our lives being all for naught. One may ask, if our salvation can be called into question, what is the point? That is a very good question. Why embark on a worthless journey? I think we will see that our salvation, if true and founded in contrition with a rending of the heart, will prove far more solid than it appears right now. John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7 reads, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you will know my Father too. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 reads, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. I think in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, we can see a level of surety that our salvation is once and for all. Thomas was the doubter. It appears to me that Jesus' reply was very sure and spoken in such a way as to remove any doubt, removing doubt of Jesus' surety that even people like us will one day see and know the Father in person. Even still, see the Father now. As we believe we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives, as evidenced by the fruit we see in ourselves and others saved by the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law 
may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If there is still doubt about the surety of our salvation, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2 should erase all doubt for good. First, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Again, it reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I believe in Jesus as to profess him as my Lord and Savior, I therefore have been delivered of the wages of sin and death. If the law of sin and death applies only to those unsaved and condemned, then how is my, as one saved unto Christ, washed by his blood white as snow, then how can my salvation ever be brought into question? Romans chapter 8 verse 2 undeniably erases all doubt of our salvation in Christ ever being in doubt. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 reads, For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from, what does it say here? The law of sin and death. We have already established that the law of sin and death was created in the Garden of Eden. We have established that Eve first, and then Adam, broke the law of sin and death by executing or acting on their temptation, thus sinning against God. We then see that God sent his Son not to condemn the world, but to save it. Save it how? By paying in full the price, paying the full wages of sin for us, that we may be set free like a prisoner is set free when his or her crime is justified by the punishment being completed. Only in this case, we are the criminals and Jesus is our payment for our crimes against God. So, having been set free of the law of sin and death by the action of Christ on the cross, one can only conclude our salvation is set and locked. Read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2 again if you do not agree or understand. Let's see more clearly our surety of our salvation by reading Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, John chapter 3, verse 17, and the first part of the sentence in verse 18 as well as Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, but read them all together. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
for god achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin he condemned sin in the flesh romans chapter 8 verse 3 tells us what jesus has done for us romans chapter 8 verse 3 specifically says he condemned sin in the flesh how by the father sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh isn't that an amazing thing for him to do when genesis chapter 1 verse 26 reads then god said let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth does this enlighten you as to the greatness of sacrifice that was made on our behalf by god the father and his son jesus christ wouldn't it be pointless for our salvation to not be a certain thing we were created in his image we sinned and he sent his son in our sinful likeness to condemn our sin that resides in our flesh if you would like to be saved i have a short prayer you can pray with me repeat after me lord jesus please forgive me of my sins against you come into my life help me give the throne of my life to you in complete surrender with a broken and contrite heart i surrender to you that i may have the abundant and eternal life you freely offer to all who ask i humbly bow before you now and confess that jesus is lord amen if you prayed that prayer with me you are now a born-again christian welcome to the kingdom of god you now have eternal life in christ all your sins past present and future have all been forgiven in the words of jesus go in peace and sin no more not an easy task but not an impossible one either because much of the hard work has been done next week we will start to take a light and easy stroll through the book of revelation in this multi-part series we will look at the seven churches and many of the wonders that are being temporally fulfilled now meaning a partial fulfillment of what is to come serving as a warning sign to us today that it will come will happen in its fullness and thus being our reason or reasons to be saved as we learn today all bible quotes without a citation are from the new english translation free version thanks again to all our listeners and followers we post our podcasts on unchurched-community.podomatic.com www.podcasts.com and itunes every sunday we are also found on tunein.com and stitcher.com 
be sure to share our podcast with family and friends. In a web browser, you can simply copy the page link and pass it on. If you are visiting for the first time, please return again at one of the aforementioned sites. Please feel free to comment, follow, or rate our podcasts. This helps us better know what you would like to hear. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners here for the first time. To learn more about us and who we are, give our podcast titled Introduction About Us, Who We Are, Revised, a listen. In that podcast, you will learn more about us, about our mission, vision, ministry, who we are reaching out to, and more. Please stop by the House of Supernatural Encounters to encounter God in a way you may have not in a long time. If you are looking to encounter God, you will find Him here. Even if you are unsaved and seeking, you too will find the supernatural God. Join us starting at 10 a.m. at Stowe Brook, 636 Great Road, number 6. Great Road is Route 117 in Stowe, Massachusetts. We are located at the far end of the building, away from Great Road, upstairs. There is an entry door to the stairs at the end of the building where the cars are parked. Come and join us if you live in Stowe, live nearby, or are passing through. Encounter the Supernatural God with us. For more information about the House of Supernatural Encounters, click the website link at the bottom of our podcast description. We look forward to meeting you. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Until next week, this is Brother John for the Church of the Unchurched.